Hello, I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Every week at this time, plus Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. On today's show, we speak with the CFO of the Los Angeles Dodgers, Tucker Kane. But first, let's look at the top stories of the week. Joining us, as every week, is Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Eben Novi williams And we're going to start. Now, see, this is, you know that I love the Illich family. Detroit. It's Detroit. And you know. They did this for you. They did this for me. They're going to start a regional sports network. All for me. They're considering starting a regional sports network. That's that's the important part. They're considering, because right now they're with Fox Sports Detroit, but the deal expires in a few hours. Years. I said hours. <laughs> they better hurry up and get that RSN up and running. Fun fun time in RSN world, though. I mean, recently we've talked about the yeah. Fox sale of the RSNs. Uh, in many cases, they do spin off some nice positive cash flow. But one can ask Miss Les Ale- Mr. Les Alexander out in Houston. It doesn't always work. It's That's not the case. And this isn't exactly a new concept. You wonder why the Illich family, you know, they own the winter programming in the Red Wings. They own the summer programming in the Tigers. You need the winter and the summer. They got it. One city. How much? And it's always that. This is the question. How much would they charge the cable operators to carry this channel? Tiger. I bet I'm gonna ready. TSE. It's gonna be Tiger Sports and Entertainment. I don't know. (laughs) TR Tiger Red Wing Sports and Entertainment. TRSE. But how much? What's the price? And at what price do the people of Detroit say no? Or the cable operators say. No, thank you, because we're not passing this along to our customers. It's yeah. always about the price. But that, but the problem is, is that it. Well, when I should say a problem, the Tigers, yes, they had a, a down year to say the least. But people will still watch the Tigers. Uh, Whitaker and Trammell were good. Lafleur <laughs> had a nice season. Well, you know what? Fidrich was fantastic. I wonder if this had to do. Remember Cecil the, Fielder? Sorry, the, I'll keep yeah, going. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Remember Brad the Osmus? two guys in the in the booth and they got into a fight? No. Yes, I do. Yeah. Yes, I did. As a matter of fact, they, they both did. got fired. Right? They yeah, both yeah, got yeah, fired. Yeah, got. So I'm wondering now if this kind of has something to do with it. That's why any any fisticuffs in this booth stays here. <laughs> The Red Wings and Tigers right now are on Fox Sports Detroit. One of those, uh, one yeah, of those RSNs that is yeah. uh, that is up for question right now. And right. moving red, I hope they do it. So I'm, my fingers are crossed. Well, then you got I got one subscriber. You got, fa- right here. you got family back in Detroit, Bar? Yeah. How much would they pay for this? How much are they okay with a month paying for this? Added to their cable bill. If you add it to the cable bill, yeah, I think they would pay maybe twenty nine ninety nine a month. Whoa, twenty nine ninety for this channel alone for the whole season. Oh, yeah. Well, there you go. They're gonna twenty nine. You kidding me? I mean, this thing's gonna be like two to three bucks. No, I man, I can see this, but don't see now. I gave him. I hey, gave we got him a, we got a I subscriber in the bar house. The, 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 I can see you're being written into the wills right now. <laughs> All right. Uh, next topic. And this one is uh, rather serious. It's uh, There was a decision uh, in the NCAA trial and Adidas executive. Two other insiders in the college basketball recruiting world were convicted in a corruption case. Yeah, earlier this week in, in New York, you know, Judge Lewis Kaplan finally ruled on this, this FBI bribery probe. Um, not to the surprise of, of, of legal scholars, you know, the, the, when the government brings trials like this, they usually win uh, all three guys, two, two folks who had worked with Adidas and one who was kind of a middleman uh, for, for an NBA agency. Um, all three of them found guilty of wire fraud. Uh, the, the ball now shifts to 
the NCAA, um, you can kind of make an argument that that the the, the government and the, and the court system now is essentially making breaking NCAA rules a federal crime in some ways. The NCAA has always said we have to wait until the courts figure this out before we wade in. Uh, over the course of the trial, as we've talked about here, a lot of big name schools, big name coaches were at least mentioned in connection. May have known about a lot of these payments. Now it's up to the NCAA to sort through all of this uh, and decide who they want to punish, how they want to punish them, et cetera. What could go wrong? Now, Edmund, do I have this right? And I know we don't have a lot of time left because I haven't read my Mike McCann yet, but <laughs> because Mike tells me what to think on these subjects. Yeah. Do I have it right in that, in essence, the decision paints the schools as victims? Yeah, that was the whole thing. Okay. These guys are, vic- are, are are guilty of defrauding the universities by tricking them or you know falsely getting them to offer scholarships to people who would be ineligible under NCA rules. Got it. Yes. And schools are the victims. This next topic, I, I have to admit, I'm excited about it because I do like gambling. Oh, okay. Here we go. William Hill is going to run a betting lounge right at Prudential Center. You know, the home of the New Jersey Devils. Yeah, but they still it's it's a betting lounge where they can't take bets unless you do it on your mobile phone, which you can do <laughs> in your living room. So in essence, they're telling me, let go to the game, come to the game, hang out in the lounge, they'll have nice TVs, it'll and everything about it will be sports book, except for the fact that you can't go to go to the desk and place a bet. You'll have to do it on your mobile phone, which you can do anywhere in New Jersey now. That's true, but still, man, it's the atmosphere. I mean, they're, they're just yeah, waiting yeah. for the day when the league's okay it, and then it'll be turnkey, and then you can walk to the window mm-hmm. and make your bet. It, yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it's it was the logical next step, especially in New Jersey. Yeah, this is the first partnership between a, a, a sports betting house and uh, a, a, a U.S. sports league or a sports team outside of Vegas. Uh, no surprise to us, I think that the Devils were first here. You know, they're they're in New Jersey, which was one of the first. Scott O'Neill loves first it. mover status. Friend of the pod, Scott O'Neill loves to do these things first. The, I, I don't know if this is going to change much but you know the this is the future just like we saw DraftKings and FanDuel opening lounges in arenas around the country in the next five years you know 10 years we're going to see lounges in almost every can't wait to take Jackson to a Devils Red Wings game and say come in a lounge son I'm going to teach you how to push these buttons oh I bet people will love it (laughs) (laughs) okay uh anyway thanks to Bloomberg business of sports reporter Evan Novi Williams it was funny you can follow him on Twitter <laughs> at Novi underscore Williams. Why do you promote that still? I love it, man. And he's got his man bun going, man. Like it's getting the, better. The man bun, the underscore Medina. Killing the, the game over you, here. You know how you know how every guy needs the help of some woman out there who's not afraid to tell him the truth? And and I've I've know I've seen you and I've heard you try. Is it just that he's not receptive? Or do you have to be more forceful? I feel like I have to be more forceful. Yes. God, what is this, an intervention, guys? It's an intervention. Oh, Oh, I love it. You can follow me at Sashnik. Yes, of course. And you can find me on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. We're here each and every week at this time. And catch our podcast where available on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. Now... Scott and I get into this week's interview with Dodgers CFO Tucker Kane. Tucker enters this sixth year as the CFO of the Los Angeles Dodgers and managing director of Guggenheim Baseball Management after leading the group's efforts to acquire the club in the largest team sports transaction in history in 2012. 
Kane was instrumental in navigating the execution of the Dodgers' 25th year agreement with Spectrum, formerly Time Warner Cable, which included the creation and operation of the team's regional sports network, Sportsnet LA. He also oversees the Dodgers Accelerator, a venture capital initiative launched in 2015 by the Dodger Ownership Group to create and participate in value and growth in the sports and entertainment industry. Woo, even I need a breath. Tuck, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it, Scott. Happy to be here. Excellent, excellent. I want to start with the similarities between the two franchises in the championship series. And from a business perspective, I love this. The fact that nobody's got a new stadium, and yet you guys make it work. That's de rigueur these days is to build these massive cash registers. However, with Fenway and Dodger Stadium, that's really not an option. You've got to hold on to that history. Yet both franchises seem to have made it work. Am I right on that? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, I think we, we really, I think both organizations try to take it as a pretty great opportunity for us to take a building um, that has the history that each of Fenway and Dodger Stadium have and you know, try to do things where we can add some kind of, you know, up-to-date uh, amenities for the fans, things that fans expect, but try to keep that uh, that historical nostalgic feel, the feel that made these ballparks uh, what they are and what they've been historically. And actually, interestingly, uh, we've both uh, leveraged a similar resource in that scenario. So Janet Marie Smith, um, who runs all of our planning and development at Dodger Stadium, uh, has worked with the Red Sox in the past, and and I think uh, that skill set has allowed each of us to turn you know pretty amazing historical venues into modern, exciting, great places to watch a baseball game that that harken back to the history of each of the franchises and the cities and the the relationships with the fans. So it's a pretty pretty great uh, opportunity I think for each of us, and a pretty fun thing to to see each of these buildings lit up for for the World Series this year. Now, if you've ever been out there, and those have not, there's a lot of land around Dodger Stadium, and that was part of the deal when Guggenheim bought in. What's the long-range plan? Where do we stand with what's possible surrounding Dodger Stadium? Yeah, you know, I think we're we're working through that. As of right now, um, you know, it's, it's obviously um, a pretty great asset for us and our fans from a parking perspective, given the, the way people get around Los Angeles and getting them to Dodger Stadium. We're constantly thinking about how to improve that and, and think about traffic and transportation. And recently, we've announced uh, a couple projects. One of which is a an aerial tram uh, from Union Station, which is the main traffic public transportation hub in Los Angeles, up to to J- Dodger Stadium, um, which is uh, in the process with the the city of of LA. And, and we're working through all of the various public agencies to to work on a, a project like that. And then also recently announced a relationship with uh, the Boring Company, uh, which is Elon Musk's company that does um, these uh, these high-speed tunnels uh, that they're working on and working on in both uh, L.A. and Chicago at the moment. And, you know, it's an exciting thing for us to be able to, to put a few of those things in the pipeline and, and help mitigate some of the traffic coming to Dodger Stadium and, and help us think about how do we utilize the land around Dodger Stadium more as a an amenity and a, and a benefit to fans as opposed to a place where they sit in traffic. <laughs> is is there? Yeah, but last time I left the stadium, I actually sat with you during the game. It did take me a couple hours to get back to Santa Monica. Thank you very much. But <laughs> is there a material, a material change to the business of the Dodgers if there is sort of a hyperlink between the west side and the stadium? 
You know, I, I, I do think there is. You know, I, I think there's unfortunately uh, enough friction in, in that opportunity to come out to the stadium that, that we lose a, a group that I think would be uh, open, interested, and excited to, to participate uh, with us in Dodgers baseball. So I, I think that link is is going to be pretty, hopefully pretty opportunistic for us and, and something uh, that we're excited with the prospects of. Obviously, a ways to go here to, to get that to come to fruition. But but the hope is, you know, as always, is to try to take as much friction out of the uh, the fan experience as we can. If we're if we're able to do that and really let the game and the, the stadium, as we talked about, kind of stand for itself and, and stand on its own, we feel really confident in, in our ability and the, the fans' interest in, in, in what we're doing. It's, it's when we add these friction points, or, or you know, not add, but, but you know, realistically have these friction points that exist in, in a city like Los Angeles just from a infrastructure perspective. Um, if we can help solve that, we think there's some, some material upside in terms of uh, who we bring into the building, how we bring them into the building, and what they're willing to do when they, when they get there. We're talking to Dodgers CFO Tucker Kane, and I want to talk about in 2012, sports history was made because the Guggenheim Group came together and purchased the Dodgers in in, in an incredible story. Is like we're talking when we that's the one that crossed into the billions when that happened. Can you tell us about that uh, that experience and how hard it was to put all that together? Yeah, absolutely. That that was a uh, probably a once-in-a-lifetime <laughs> uh, opportunity. I hope experience. from a media perspective, having to cover it, I hope that's true. <laughs> that's right, as you can imagine. So um, so obviously it was very um, well publicized, but the uh, the process through which uh, that transaction happened um, was, was a pretty amazing one, just with the amount of interest, um, with the circumstances surrounding it through the bankruptcy process and and the, you know all those things that uh, that really led to to the uh, to the sale of the franchise. But Bud Sealy Bud Sealy not allowing Frank McCourt's TV deal, yeah. which put the team in That's bankruptcy. Right. That's right. That's yes. exactly right. And and so you know as we approached it, um, it was really uh, again once in a lifetime type of of opportunity. And and you, you, our perspective is you don't get the chance to to buy an asset of this nature and this type very often, if if at all. And and so we we really took a, a as as you you saw you know looking back a pretty aggressive approach uh, relative to what we thought the kind of you know combination of assets were worth right when you have a historic iconic global franchise like the Dodgers at a time where uh, sports television rights are are exploding and and there's you know the, the land asset we spoke about and and some of the opportunities we saw as we evaluated the business um, just made it. Uh, such a, a, an opportunity that, that we thought we were able to and, and got to the point where we were willing to pay uh, the number that we did. And, and, you know, a lot of people asked, you know, how'd you get there relative to some of the, the reporting around some of the other bids? And, and really, at the end of the day, our perspective is we paid what we thought it was, was worth and, and, and we're willing to, to step into that um, given the iconic nature and the, the opportunity set that uh, that a franchise and brand and platform like the Dodgers would create for for our owners. So uh, it, it was a, a fascinating, exciting, uh, hectic <laughs> process, um, but one that you know has turned out to be really, really great and and really exceeded our expectations across the board in terms of the opportunity uh, 
that we had with the club and, and what we've been able to do so far. Uh, we feel very fortunate to have, have really uh, played that through uh, after a pretty uh, <laughs> wild uh, purchase process there. We are chatting with Tucker Kane, the CFO of the Dodgers. And Tucker, you're a mild-mannered guy. But come on, give me a little I told you so here because you know very well at that time people heard $2.15 billion. I could not find a banker, and you know they know everything. I could not find a banker who thought this was a good deal. Yeah, no, I mean, I, that was definitely the, uh, the, the, the perspective. You know, I, I, you, you want to say you told you so, I'm not sure, you know, because I'm sure there'll be another one on the other side where... <laughs> <laughs> smart man, smart man. Same people on the way up is the way down. Exactly. But, but at the same time, you know, the, the opportunity that existed, you know, I, we, we, we kind of challenged ourselves and, and reviewed our, our work, you know, more times than you might otherwise, just because of the, the size and scope and kind of the relative expectation that was in the market. But, you know, we really took a hard look at the, the marketplace, the media landscape, the, the potential media partners, the, the opportunity to create a competitive bidding process around the local television rights, and then also thinking about what that franchise, what the Los Angeles Dodgers mean to, to baseball, you know, U.S. domestic sports and, and global sports. And, and if we could strike the right chord, put the right plan in place, build it you know the right way from a player side scouting and player development and, and really you know investing in the long-term future and sustainable success you know we saw just a lot a lot of upside that hadn't been tapped for whatever reason or whatever variety of reasons that may be um, and we were willing to to step into that and and you know bet on ourselves a little bit we thought we had a really good team with you know Stan Kasten the president and CEO of the team who's a you know, a legendary sports executive and somebody who, who you know had a plan and a vision, and with the resources available from our ownership group, we just thought that combination was something that was really unique. Um, really, you know, put us in a position to take advantage of all those opportunities, and and we're willing to to, to make sure that it was us that got to to pursue that as opposed to somebody else. And a lot of credit, obviously, to Mark Walter, our our chairman and primary owner, for for seeing that value and and you know making a, a you know a, an aggressive and and strong push to to buy the team which resulted in in us uh being here today so so it's been a a, a fantastic journey and and started a place of you know a lot of questions and doubts and and I think we've been able to uh to answer a lot of those questions and doubts and and put ourselves in a position where uh this is a platform that we're going to continue to try to grow and build and and uh, um, and and take advantage of. We are chatting with Tucker Kane, the CFO of the Dodgers, and I think you're going to be able to answer this, Tuck. And Michael Barr, I want to see if you know it. You know how I know that Stan Kasten is sort of the one of the most respected sports executives out there. Do you know how I know that, Tuck? How's that? Stan told me. <laughs> Silence on that side of the phone. Silence on that side of the phone. Go ahead, Barr. <laughs> If you can back it up, you know. Yeah, there you, you go. Talk it. There you go. <laughs> I want to ask. I want to go back to the the dugout loop that uh, you have with Elon Musk. And one thing that people may not be aware of this this loop is zero emissions, which uh, you know, obviously for California, uh, that's a great thing. It, it is, and and actually the 
the aerial tram I mentioned earlier is as well. So it was really important for us to not only find transportation alternatives, um, you know, as Scott mentioned, you know, it can be very tough, especially for big marquee events like the ones we're going to, you know, we've been hosting this year. Um, It can be very, very difficult. So the, the primary initiative, obviously, is to find alternatives from a transportation perspective. But, you know, it's been really, you know, kind of, great for us and beneficial and and something we're very proud of that we've been able to find a few options that are uh, no admission um, and can be, you know, really additive to the the community and and not, you know, continuing to to pile on some of the effects and some of the issues that already exist in the city of L.A. and and more broadly. So um, so it's a really exciting uh, piece of, of, of our future here, you know, I think is as we've tried to articulate to folks and live day to day, we try to be as thoughtful, innovative, forward-thinking as we can. I think that's our obligation from a you know running an organization that you know brought Jackie Robinson into Major League Baseball and all the other kind of social and, and pop culture influences that you know the Dodgers as a brand have had historically. And if we can keep that that thoughtful, forward-thinking, innovative perspective. Um, and be willing to try and be willing to test and, and work on some of these things. Um, I think it gives us a really great spot to, to be in and, and, and innovate and push forward. And, and the dugout loop and, and the aerial tram are, are, are two of those uh, those things that we're excited to be pursuing and putting our kind of full weight and, and, and resources behind. Speaking of innovation, Bar, you know how we always talk about on this show that these teams are ten poles for something, media, real estate. It's all that for the Dodgers. But there's also the Global Sports Venture Studio, which you may not know. The Dodgers serve as an incubator for other companies, and then they can utilize whatever that product may be or technology for good of the Dodgers to global scale. How many how many companies now, Tuck? Where, where does the Venture Studio stand these days? Yeah, so we're up to about 30 companies, um, which we're really proud of and excited about. Um, and so, you know, it's, a, it's an initiative that was born out of out of curiosity, quite frankly, I think, you know, as we came in, in in 2012 and started thinking about where does this business go and where does our industry go and how do we make sure we stay relevant and top of mind and 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 uh, uh, in our our customers and fans' um, day-to-day lives, uh, we recognize that technology is something that's that's changing that, changing the day-to-day lives of our fans, and and that's something that's giving them better, you know, experiences, more real-time experiences, more diversity of choice and all those things. And, and so we recognized we had to institutionalize our, our relationship to innovation and change and technology. And, and given the background of our ownership group as investors and, and, and entrepreneurs themselves, we thought an incredible place to start would be with startup companies that are thinking about sports and entertainment. They're thinking about the problems and opportunities that exist and how can technology help uh, impact and influence those. And it's actually a pretty fascinating thing when you ask other people what your problems are. <laughs> the, the, the responses <laughs> you get back can be pretty pretty fascinating. I do not so, ask other people what my problems are. <laughs> I, I am afraid. Yeah, you tried once with yeah. me. Yeah, we, we shut that down That real was the fast. whole show? Yeah, that was it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So to hear so to hear that back and get that intel, uh, get that information, and, and have a a process through which which you know started as our Dodger accelerator and is now uh, iterated into the uh, Global Sports Venture Studio, um, I think has just given us a chance to be 
much more open-minded, much more uh, uh, you know real-time in our reactions and and deploy some of these these technologies into Dodger Stadium, into our player development system, into the various things that we do on a day-to-day basis, and then you know having the expectation or thought that those things, uh, if they work for us, could scale more broadly and how do we take advantage of that and participate in that and help facilitate it? Um, and so investing in these businesses seem to make all the sense in the world to us. And, and so we're there, um, you know, doing the best we can. The 30 companies and, and the, uh, the nine uh, partners we've brought into the Global Sports Venture Studio, we think really put us in a position to, to execute there. You mentioned about Jackie Robinson. And I, on his birthday, on April 15th, they wear the number 42, and I know for a fact that I will never forget that day because that's my birthday also. Yeah. In case you didn't know that. I did not you know didn't, that. You didn't know that. I thought you were 42 years old. No. no, it's, no. <laughs> Even add, Tucker's laughing. Yeah. yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah add a zero he, he to He must the have looked you up on yeah. the internet. <laughs> I, well, I bring it up about Jackie Robinson because one of the things that I, I'm big on in any professional sporting team or whatever is encouraging the youth to, one, play the game and to know a bit about the history of the game. Can you, can you tell us more about how the Dodgers try to encourage uh, the, the youth out there about uh, playing baseball and what it's all about? Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more, by the way, on, on you know young kids learning the game, learning how you play it, uh, learning the nuances, learning the history. Uh, I think those are incredibly powerful, not only as baseball fans, but I think as you learn life lessons and as you, you think about you know, becoming a, you know, growing up and becoming a, a, you know, productive adult in society and learning the teamwork and all the things that come with it are, are super valuable. So I agree completely with you there. Um, we, we've done a couple things on this front, and I, I got to give a lot of credit um, to our uh, foundation, our executive director, Nicole Whiteman, and, and the Los Angeles Dodgers Foundation, who uh, run uh, a program in conjunction with Major League Baseball, uh, RBI, Revitalizing Baseball in Inner Cities, um, and last year, uh, and she'd do better with the stats than I will, but I think we got almost 10,000 kids from underserved communities playing baseball and coming through that program. And so those types of things where we create opportunities for folks that may not have it otherwise, we can provide the the equipment and the field space and, and all of those things. The foundation's also built 50 uh, Dodger Dream Fields, so so baseball fields, baseball diamonds and softball diamonds and in, in uh, inner-city uh uh, areas in Los Angeles and just made another commitment to build another 25. Um, so really impactful, uh, amazing things. We're, we're teaching and getting our players and our former players and uh, out into the community to teach the game and, and help uh, spread the word and, and bring some of the history of the Dodger organization. And then recently we also announced a partnership with Nomar Garcia Parra and, and his partner Aaron Trolia, who's a former uh, minor league uh, pitcher, uh, who have who have built a, a pretty incredible uh, academy training program, and it's a it's a local academy training program where it's it's you know targeted to uh, to relatively small uh, you know kind of radius around a, a, a particular facility, um, and it's really focused on on instruction. Um, you know, there are a lot of really great, well-to-do parents and people that are trying to to coach their kids playing baseball and softball all over the, the country. But can we really inject a, a level of instruction from the folks, you know, 
like a Nomar Garcia part, the people who have been there, who understand the game, who really can teach the core skill set, because um, we think that's not only going to add, a, you know, create a better experience, it's going to create longevity and 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 you know reduce attrition out of the sport, create a more direct relationship. We're going to call that the Dodger Training Academy uh, in LA. Um, so create an even better relationship with the major league club, um, just to really build on on some of the historical and and uh, innovative things that have happened in the in the organization and build it all around the sport, um, you know, baseball and softball. So uh, it's a pretty exciting time for us. Something we think is hugely important uh, as we move forward, um, and uh, and something we're spending a lot of time and resource against. Hey, Tucker, let me bring this back to one of the most talked about business aspects of the Dodgers, and that's the lack of distribution from the TV deal. I know it's the bane of Stan Caston's existence, but, and I don't know if you guys can say this, but I haven't seen any material damage to the Dodger brand. People go, here you are in the World Series, you're winning. I mean, that cures a lot of ills, but has there been any material damage to the Dodger brand not being fully distributed? Of course, you'd like to, and you want them to share your games. But has there been any damage? Yeah, you know, it's, it's it, it would be really hard to say there has, there's been none. Um, I think, you know, us being in front of our our fans and, and showing our product and showing these amazing players that we have that have been performing at levels that, you know, the Dodger franchise has never seen before um, is really a shame and something that we're – you know, really, uh, as you as you pointed out, it's the bane of of Stan's uh, uh, existence at the moment. All of ours, and, and it's something that we, you know, work as as hard as we can, as diligently as we can with our partners. And you know, there's a a landscape that's moving pretty rapidly around us, right? As you think about the media landscape and the consolidation of a bunch of these uh, the, these companies and and how they're thinking about content and you know, the, the rise of over-the-top distribution. And, and there's a lot of uh, of moving pieces that um, we're kind of caught in the middle of at the moment. And, and how those play out uh, is something we're trying to better understand. We're trying to see if we can't help influence to a, to a place where uh, it will lead to, to distribution of, of the uh, uh, of the Dodger broadcast across all of Los Angeles. But so it'd be hard to say there's no impact. Um, we do. We've been blessed and, and we're lucky uh, to have the type of fan base that we do that comes out and the numbers they do and engage with us in the, the way they do and the, 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 the excitement and and, um, uh, and relationship we have with our fan bases, you know, especially at Dodger Stadium, is an all-time high. Um, but it's something that we need to, to address and we need to continue to work on, and, and we're hopeful that, that we'll make progress here. Uh, but it has gone on long, uh, longer than we would have liked, and obviously, and and hoped. So, um, something we need to continue to work as best we can to to find a solution to. Because over time, we need to be in front of all of our our fans. We need to be in front of kids uh, who are thinking about uh, sports and what they care about and what's interesting to them. And and if we're not in that conversation, that's that that'll, that's a long-term problem uh, for us and something we're going to need to address. Okay, speaking long-term, a while back, the ownership said it was considering bringing on some investors. Can you bring us up to uh, the state of where is that process and anybody interesting in the pipeline? Yeah, you know, it's something that we thought really made sense to do and something I I imagine will be executed on. Um, The nice thing is it's not a, a requirement. It's more of an opportunity to bring other smart, thoughtful, great 
people into the to the group and and help drive value and so you know it's something we kind of continue to think about and 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 work on you know I don't have anything at the moment to 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 kind of talk about it from a specific or individual perspective but um I would expect us to continue down that path and and it's it's a nice position to be where you can find people that you like that that you know work with our our ownership group can add value to the ownership group and and really uh you know help us progress and move forward as opposed to being you know just about uh, a dollar amount or anything like that so um so that's uh something that that we're working on it nothing to announce at the moment but I wouldn't be surprised if uh something does get announced in the next uh you know this off season I would imagine would be a place where that'll ramp up a little bit uh, more as we have a little more time and attention to focus on on our on our ownership and partner group. Tucker Kane, the CFO of the Los Angeles Dodgers, the same team that gave Greg Brady the big head. Remember that? Remember that episode? <laughs> I do. Remember that Don Drysdale Don, Don Dry- in yeah. school? He was dating the teacher. Yeah, well, no, that was another episode. This was oh. the one. This well, yeah, you're right. That was the one where he was dating. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so he told you know all of a sudden now Greg is thinking bonus baby and right. all of that. That's all I got introduced to. Unfor- unfortunately for, for you, Tucker, I mean, as great as that was, and, and Drysdale, it'll never live up to the Joe Namath. Yeah, that's, that's true. Right. I yeah, mean, that's true. and and you're okay with that, right? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tucker. Thanks so much, Thank buddy. You. All right, guys. Thanks very much. Takeaways. And one thing I'm, you know, I'm passionate about, and I brought it up uh, when I was talking with Tucker Food, about getting drink. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Number three yeah, on the, the first, list. Thing you're the third thing about. I'm passionate about is <laughs> <laughs> I, I want the youth to get into sports. I want them to, to understand. Any sport, just like baseball, I want them to understand the history of baseball. I want them to understand the rules and and technique. And I'm glad that Tucker mentioned that, uh, just like many major sport teams, that they have a venue for that. Have you been to the Jackie Robinson Museum down on Canal? No, I would love to go. Oh, I'll go with you. How's that? Right, let's go, man. We'll go. Yeah, seriously, yeah. I'd like to go. Yeah, you can. There's a few spots to sit down and relax afterwards. Yeah. All right, you got it. I'm struck by again. I talk about this all the time on the show, that these teams cannot exist by themselves. You don't buy a sports team just to have a sports team. This was a media play for the regional sports network. They don't have full distribution. That's okay because they were promised payment from Time Warner, full amount, no matter what kind of distribution they had. And he said, yeah, you can't help but feel that the the brand takes a little bit of a hit because our fans don't see us. But let's be clear here, Barr. They're making a ton of money. They're doing well. Their fans are watching. It's a pretty interesting um, scenario in which right now, if I'm the other cable operators, the Dodgers can be like, eh, you know, yeah. we're not really getting hurt by this. <laughs> so, you know, maybe we can outlast you. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Time now for the number of the week. This, I'm going to give you a hint. We did okay. not discuss. We have to we tell did, the audience. We this week we did not discuss. This. No, we did not discuss this. But I'm going to give you some clues oh, God. to the numbers, to the number of the week here. Uh, it because we were talking about Jackie Robinson, it involves another. If it's African, not forty two, it's, it's not. I mean, come on, it's not forty two. Oh, I will say that it's not right. forty two, but it involves another African American player mm-hmm. 
who's made history mm-hmm. in Major League Baseball. And Larry I mean, Doby. No, oh. but that's a good guess. It's not enough. Willie I mean, Mays. Larry, wow. Say that's hey. right. Say that, hey what? Really? That's <gasps> right. The number was the number was 24 that I was going yet. for. Just guessing. <laughs> but I said Willie Mays. Yes, that was the, the he the wore, Say hey kid. I, yeah, the say hey kid, number say 24. Hey, Medina. Guys, wore that. I actually know something. Wow. Without googling? I I it, it, if you saw the meme with my eyes like Dang, she got it. <laughs> it was the number twenty four. Who needs me? <laughs> I mean, it was you know because that's you wore that especially when he was at the Polo Grounds back in the day in the fifty four World Series, and it was the number was twenty four, and you know with that fabulous you know catch and, and everything. You know what that takes me back to Medina, the nineteen seventy nine Daytona five hundred. <laughs> You're not gonna <laughs> let me. <lose> this. <laughs> I didn't mean to just chime in at the time, but. I thought of the name, and I knew that it had to be him. So Wow. Yeah. Great. We love it. <laughs> that was good. Next man. week, there you're you taking first shot at the number of the week. Because <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever gotten it, and I know nothing. I okay. didn't even get to the number, and you, and you got it, man. That was, I'm that sorry. Was I'm sorry I ruined it No, no. I would, I'm impressed. I'm, I'm always impressed. Trust me. I'm that. impressed at myself right now. Too. I'm always impressed with Medina. Uh, in, Thank you. Uh, how about right. that? Next week, I'll tell you about the 1976 Daytona 500. <laughs> I'm sure you will. You're li- I think I'm going to be sick. <laughs> You're listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week at the same time. Turn your head. Plus, online as a podcast, we're available. You can catch that Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. And I'm Scott Soshnick. You can follow me on Twitter at Soshnick. Thank you very much for joining us. Please tune in next week when we once again speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world and online and where our podcast is available.